Dearly beloved, wonder not if the world hate you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. He that loveth not abideth in death. Whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in himself. In this we have known the grace, the charity of God, because he hath laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. He that hath the substance of this world <clears throat> and shall see his brother in need and shall shut up his heart from him, how doth the charity of God abide in him? My little children, let us not love in word nor in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Please stand for the Holy Gospel. <clears throat> the Gospel is taken from that according to St. Luke, chapter 14, verses 16 to 24. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. At that time, Jesus spoke to the Pharisees this parable. A certain man made a great supper and invited many, and he sent his servant at the hour of supper to say to them that were invited that they should come, for now all things are ready. And they began all at once to make excuse. The first said to him, I have bought a farm, and I must needs go out and see it. I pray thee, hold me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to try them. I pray thee, hold me excused. And another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. And the servant returning told these things to his lord. Then the master of the house, being angry, said to his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city, and bring in hither the poor and the feeble and the blind and the lame. And the servant said, Lord, it is done as thou hast commanded, and yet there is room. And the Lord said to the servant, Go out into the highways and hedges, and compel them to come in, that my house may be filled. But I say unto you that none of these men that were invited shall taste of my supper. Thus far the words of today's Holy Gospel. Please be seated. And they began all at once to make excuse. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, Amen. <clears throat> My dear faithful, we have very troubling things happening in our country, in our society these days, actually throughout the entire world. We see a kind of battery of things, one thing after another, sort of hammering, like hammer blows, striking our society, our country. It seems like the whole human race is caught up in, in this now, where one thing after another comes, uh, comes down on us and uh, wreaks havoc, actually, in our, our lives. It threatens to completely disrupt our whole society. How is this possible? What is happening? Why is it happening? Well, people are scrambling to try to find answers to these questions. <coughs> when we look for answers, we look for answers from our faith, which is to say we look for answers from Almighty God in heaven because he has, in fact, given us the answers. The answers are to be found in our, in our Catholic faith, in our Catholic tradition, in, in sacred scripture. We have answers that our Lord himself has given to us. St. Paul wrote in his epistles that the times are evil, but that was 2,000 years ago. And nonetheless, in our own times now, we might say the same thing. And we might say that actually evils of the times are not different evils than what St. Paul saw. They're the same. Evils that draw from original sin, even evils that draw from human vices, 
We're dealing with the same evils that he saw. It's just that the evils of our day are so pervasive because of the technology that now stands behind them. That means that they are now invading from every side. That They have the ability, these evils have the power to <clears throat> be omnipresent. The devil himself cannot really be everywhere. He's not God. Only God can do that. But the devil tries to mimic God, <clears throat> to mock God by mimicking him, by imitating him. <clears throat> so the devil cannot really be everywhere at all times. <clears throat> but he has used our technology to be able to pretend to be everywhere at all times by putting himself uh, through uh, the Internet and through other things that seem to saturate the world today. By putting himself front and center in all these things, he can actually mimic God through our own technology um, into a, a gigantic worldwide web or a net in which he can catch souls. <coughs> and he's doing that today. And we find that those who are in his service, the devil's service, and carrying out his plans, that they are using these things. And using these things to serve him well, uh, to accomplish things that are very, very bad. Now, what are these things exactly if we identify the evils of the day? Well, one of the things that is front and center today, of course, is, is racism. Is that an evil? Yes, it is an evil. Has it been condemned? Absolutely condemned. We see that evil rearing its evil head, even in the first days of the church, where St. Paul had to confront within the, the ranks of the convert Jews a resentment against the, the non-Jews, against those who were the, they called them the Greeks, the Gentiles, the pagans, who came to faith in Christ and wanted to become Christians and follow our Lord. And they, they hit a kind of wall of opposition among the Jewish converts who insisted that to become Christian, the pagans first had to become Jewish because the Jews and Jews alone had a right to our Lord because he's one of their own people. He's their Messiah, after all, and they're not going to share him uh, unless people become members of the Jewish, uh, the Jewish society, the Jewish people, and therefore somehow suddenly have some kind of claim to the Messiah as their Messiah. St. Paul had to resist that right from the start. This is a very human thing. This is also, sad to say, too natural to human beings as a result of original sin to be exactly this way. And it goes so deep within us that we have to be aware of it. It's almost like a, a natural reaction, like a reflex now, because of our fallen nature and our human pride that we automatically have a kind of reaction that way. And we have to be on guard against it. And it is really, that's what makes it so pleasing to God and so meritorious and so so um, actually worthy of a reward in heaven that we, we do make an effort. We have to make an effort to resist these weaknesses in our nature. And out of love for our Lord, <clears throat> We do make that effort to overcome what is natural to us. <clears throat> we cannot overcome gravity. Gravity is so natural. <clears throat> Yet we make the effort to try. And God himself reaches down and lifts us up 
and raises us up by his power. Because other ordinarily, I mean, our, our minds, our hearts, our souls, as the, as the psalm says, cleave to the earth. We stick here to the world. But God can raise us up when we, when we try like a little bird, as Saint Teresa of the child Jesus described it, as a little fledgling can't raise itself up yet. God reaches down like the mother bird and carries it back into the nest from which it's fallen. It doesn't have the power yet to fly. Well, God himself, when he sees us trying and wanting, uh, he reaches down and he, li- he raises us up and gives us a power that we don't have. And that is the power of the supernatural grace of God to overcome our natural fallen tendencies. <clears throat> and certainly this is one of them. The story is told about even the Catholic schools of old in the immigration days when people were coming from Italy and Ireland and, and so on, uh, coming to this country as immigrants, that in the Catholic schools, you know, you'd have the groups that would fight each other. Uh, you'd have the, uh, the Italian, the Italian boys fighting the, the, the Irish boys in the Catholic schools. You know, if they had any Protestants, they'd all, the, the Irish and the, and the Italians would, would then be fighting the Protestants. Uh, when they didn't have Protestants to fight, they, they, the Irish and the Italians would fight each other. And if they didn't have each other to fight, then the Northern Italians would fight the Southern Italians. And so there would be this constant, uh, struggle, constant trouble, um, because of the distinctions made, well, you're from here and you're from there and you're not us. And, um, this is unfortunately endemic to our human nature. Um, even among the Muslims, you know, the Muslims are very much anti the kafir, that is the unbelievers. But if it weren't for a focus on constant, on fighting them, the Shiites are fighting the Sunnis within the Muslims and all the different groups, subgroups and subgroups of those fighting each other. It's a sad state. The human race is in a sorry state without grace. And this is the condition we're in. And so by the grace of God, we've come to see the folly of that. We've come to see how evil that is. And we don't want that. We want what God wants now. And we need God's help to accomplish it. And so uh, the very idea of Catholicism is exactly the opposite. You know, uh, back in the 1930s and 40s, there arose something called uh, Nazism. You're familiar with it, of course. Um, our forebears fought, fought against that. My own father fought to resist this, uh, this evil in World War II. But it was a special kind of socialism that was coupled with nationalism and racism. Um, it was all socialism, though. The Bolshevism of the Russians, well, the Russian people, again, were an amalgamation of a variety of peoples going back many hundreds of years. And uh, when Pope Pius XII wrote to them in 1952, consecrating them to the Immaculate Heart of Mary, this was July 7, 1952, Pope Pius XII uh, addressed his letter to them uh, as a letter addressed to all of the peoples of Russia, all of the Russian peoples. Uh, so there's a variety of people like tribes who've joined together and have come to be known as a nation of Russia. 
<clears throat> but it's an amalgamation of various tribes, all of who basically had been fighting with each other for some time now, and uh, finally brought together in one nation. But uh, in any case, uh, in Bolshevism, you find the attempt for to establish world socialism that would engulf the entire world, all the nations, all the races of the world. In Nazism, you had national socialism. <clears throat> and national socialism was based on racism. The Aryan race was the superior race and looked down on all the other races <clears throat> as though something inferior. Well, Pope Pius XI was the Pope at the time, and he had to address both of these things. And it's probably the, the only time in the history of the church that a pope wrote two great encyclicals and published them both in one week. Pope Pius XI issued Mit Brennida Zorge. Mit Brennida Zorge was a, uh, an encyclical written in German, addressed to the peoples of Germany, about the evils of national socialism, Nazism. And that encyclical was, well, it, it was a spiritual bombshell, like about these things. It had to be smuggled into Germany. And it was prearranged that the pastors would get into the churches, especially the bishops in the cathedrals, would get into the churches. And at the same time throughout Germany, on that one Sunday morning, I think it was, was it Passion Sunday? Anyway, it was, it was March of 1937. And read that encyclical out loud to the peoples who were gathered in the ch Catholic churches of Germany. Because they knew, they knew very well that the Nazis would stop them if they knew this was going to happen. And so Hitler's brown shirts were standing in the back of the cathedral and of the churches of Germany monitoring what was going on, what was said by the pastors. And lo and behold, on that particular Sunday, there was an encyclical from Pius XI being read to all the Catholic people. From the pulpits of Germany, the racism and the nationalism and the socialism of the Nazis were all denounced at the same time. They were all condemned by the church. And they were condemned in the name of Catholicism because Catholicism is exactly the opposite of these things. It's the opposite of the exaltation of the race as though that is God, or the exaltation of the nation as though that is God. And that sets us apart and against everyone else. Um, socialism, okay, again, in the name of Catholicism, it was condemned. Because the very idea of Catholicism is universal, that this is for everyone, that everyone is called to this, that Christ is the one savior of all the races, of all the nations. Uh, we hear this in the voice of St. Paul from the very beginning, saying in the eyes of God, you know, there's not Jew or Greek, um, not when it comes to Christ, our Lord. And uh, we read in the book of the Apocalypse, now sometimes known as the book of Revelation, although they're all books of Revelation, of course. But we read in the book of the Apocalypse, um, after we read the part of... Um, of God marking the people and the conversion of the Jews at the end, 12,000 of the various, each of the various tribes of Israel. We read that St. John then saw a vision of heaven where he saw a great multitude which no man could number of all the tribes and the peoples, the races, the nations, and the tongues, the languages of the world. All of those gathered together before the throne of God in heaven and united there in him. 
this one great act of love. Uh, the one great act of love that unites them is their, their common love for their creator and his common love for them. And this is the image that is given to us of the Catholic Church, finally, all brought together in the saints in heaven uh, in their love for their God who created and redeemed them and his love for them. One enormous family, actually, uh, fashioned by grace, by God's grace. This is the image that is held for us by the Catholic Church. You notice that in the epistle today, St. John talks about the having eternal life inside oneself. This is what he says. He says, no murderer, he says, has eternal life abiding in himself. And he's talking about people living in this world. But how do you have, have eternal life abiding in yourself in this world? Well, the church calls it sanctifying grace. Sanctifying grace actually is that eternal life already dwelling in the soul. Our Lord says this. He says, if anyone love me, the Father, my Father will love him. And we will come. The Father and I will come and we will dwell within the soul of that person. And of course, where the Father and the Son, the love between them comes. And that is the Holy Ghost, the eternal love of God. The Father and the Son is an actually divine person who comes within and dwells within the human soul. <clears throat> and that we know is sanctifying grace, that indwelling of the three divine persons in the soul. So we are not in heaven, but in a sense, you might say heaven is in us. Our Lord says the kingdom of heaven is within you. And this is what the church enables us to understand through a teaching on sanctifying grace, that the soul is here in this world already pleasing and holy to God, and even a child of God, even in this life. So in a sense, we might say heaven has to begin here to end there. Uh, heaven has to be within us here so that we can be in heaven then. <coughs> but uh, certainly those who harbor these these divisive and hateful and even murderous ideas of racism and uh, exalt, not nation, nationalism, exalting, exalting the nation as though it was the purpose of our lives and it is the source of our real identity uh, and our ultimate destiny. And we exist for the service of the nation and the people, the folk, das Volk, as Hitler would say. We don't. We are here for God. We exist for him. We are created by him, not by the nation, not by the race. We are created by God in his image and likeness. All of us, every one of us, in his image and likeness. And our faith enables us to see that, that image in us by nature and that likeness in the human soul by grace, by sanctifying grace. This is what we have to see. Unfortunately, what has complicated matters in the, in the world today is that uh, there is a large, what can we say, uh, effort being made by the powers of hell in the world today to subvert even efforts in themselves that are not bad. And they try to get involved in these things. We heard about the, the uh, tragic events in Minneapolis and the death of a man there at the hands of a policeman. And we do lament that. And we do condemn the evil that is there. 
This will be decided by a jury. This is the way we do things. And the guilt or innocence will be determined. And there will be, there will be the sentence that is carried out here. This is the way we have to proceed in this life. But the things that we see are very troubling, certainly. And we find them not only offensive, we find them gravely immoral and horrifying. And we condemn the evils involved, absolutely. Regardless of who is committing them and who is being injured by them, we condemn them. But there are forces that want to use them, want to use these things. They want to use the anger and they want to use the sorrow, and they want to turn that against everyone. These are the forces of what we know as the left. Uh, the left, in, every, in all of its forms, wants to subvert all of these, some of them even good efforts, and wants to subvert them and use it for its own purposes, basically in subverting the entire world. This is why we see things happening that uh, in order to protest, protest the unjust death, death of an, one man, they will bring about so much violence that they cause the deaths of many others. And they say it is all in honor of whoever they claim that they are, they are supporting, but they're actually tearing down everything that is right and good. This is what they do. They're revolutionaries. They're Marxists. And so their, their fundamental principle is progress is made through destruction. And so we have to destroy and destroy and destroy as much as we can, as fast as we can, of the, of the old order, we have to destroy whatever it is in order to, to build something new. The trouble is, these are people who don't know how to build. All they know is how to destroy. It's so much easier to wreck something than to build something beautiful. It's so much easier to destroy a work of art than it is to make it. And so it is with leftists, they're very capable of destruction, but they're not capable of building anything. You look at the socialist societies or the socialist dictators, and thus they're able to destroy very effectively, but they're not able to build anything on that, on that, on that, the, the foundations of, even if they leave the foundations and they don't want to, they want to destroy the very foundations that are there, but they're incapable of building any other foundations of their own except hatred. Is God a racist? Absolutely not. He created the races and he wanted them. Is Satan a racist? In a sense, no, he's not a racist either. Racist is one who kind of distinguishes between them and favors one over the other. God loves all the different races of mankind. Satan is not a racist either in that he hates all the races of mankind. He doesn't distinguish, he hates them all. And he wants to bring them all under his heel, or under his claw, if you will. He wants to bring them all into his power. But it's not by love, but purely, simply by hatred. So um, God forbid those who would propose that as an answer to racism, the common hatred of all races. Well, this is what the left does, and we can't let them do it. So how do we respond to this? We have to be careful now. People can just react mindlessly, and that's very dangerous. That's what this devil wants us to do, to react mindlessly, to forget not, even, not only just our faith, but even our intelligence in just reacting out of passion to these things. And that's what so many people are doing these days. But that we're not allowed to do that. We have to respond to these things 
in an intelligent way, and our intelligence has to be informed by our faith to guide us so that we make the right decisions. One can say, well, I'm going to go fight an evil, whatever the evil is, but he can make things worse. But adding to one evil his own evil, he brings his own unbridled passions. He thinks in order to resist one evil, and all he's doing is throwing fuel on the fire of anger and adding to the problem. So God forbids us to do that. He requires that we use uh, fortitude in what we do. Yes, certainly. Bravery, temperance, moderation, yes. He insists that we use justice, but above these three, these other three things, there's another virtue, and that is prudence. Prudence, justice, fortitude, and temperance are the four moral virtues that come right after faith and hope and charity. Right after faith and hope and charity, the next virtue is a natural virtue. It is called prudence. And prudence is above justice and is above temperance and is above fortitude because prudence has to guide the all of the others. It has to guide them in what they do. We can be temperate. We can fast and abstain. But you can fast and abstain to the point where you make yourself sick. And that's why prudence has to govern that tendency. You can be brave to the point of being foolhardy. And that's why prudence has to govern the virtue of fortitude. You can be just even to the, the point of being cruel and follow the letter of the law. Well, you can do that, but that's just bringing about more evils. Prudence has to govern that justice and how you do what you do. And we're responsible for that because if we don't follow the prudent way of doing things so as to know, okay, how do I make this better and do not make it worse? How do I accomplish the good purpose and don't add to the evil? You see, unless we deliberately apply our intelligence, God-given intelligence, to see how we are to respond to these things, to make them better and not to make them worse. We're responsible. We are responsible for what happens when we do something imprudent. Even if we say we're doing something in matter of justice or in fortitude or in temperance, if we do these things in such a way that they are imprudent, we're responsible for the damage we cause here. And we can give very serious scandal. So you've got to be real careful about that. Not to just go off on a tangent and trying to address something that is truly an evil, but to actually worsen the situation, adding to the evil by bringing our own weaknesses rather than our own strengths, by bringing our own vices into play rather than our own virtues. So ask God for the grace in any case to be able to respond truly with prudence and uh, to let your faith prevail and your hope in God prevail and your love prevail. Our Lord could have lashed out from the cross. He could have lashed out under the, under the, under the whip. He could have lashed out at us when we were lashing him with, at the scourging, but he didn't do that. He came to accomplish his Father's purpose. And that's what we, you and I have to have in mind always. The Father's purpose, as our Lord did, as our Blessed Mother did, and all the saints have set that example for us. That's the purpose we have to have in mind. Not gratifying our own offended sense of justice, or our own offended sense of whatever. 
<clears throat> now, it's God's purpose that we have to be looking for here. So that's why we have to enter into ourselves and find there and beseech there grace from God to, to shed light for us to follow rather than just grab the sword and charge off on some errant cause. We're not exactly sure what we're fighting for, what we hope to accomplish by it. Now, these days, when St. Paul says the times are evil, he says we have to walk circumspectly. That's what St. Paul said. We have to walk circumspectly. What he meant by that is we have to be careful about what we do and how we conduct ourselves because the times are evil. And the worse the times are, the more carefully we have to proceed, the more thoughtfully we have to proceed because there's so much more at risk. We need God's guidance in all this, and for that we have to pray. What did Our Lady tell us from heaven? Our Lady was sent to tell us, pray the rosary. She's asking us, pray the gospel. She's saying, just pray the gospel of our Lord, of her divine son, pray the gospel. When she hands us a rosary to pray, she's handing us a prayer that is actually the gospel put into prayer. So that what is going through our minds during the praying of the rosary are events from the life of our Lord, many of them in which Our Lady herself was a principal, I mean, the, the, the Annunciation, when she conceived him, right? And, uh, and, and the events that unfolded in his life afterward. She, so this is where she wants us to start here, in our daily prayer. And of course, coming to the altar, the Feast of Corpus Christi, and every, every day, in a sense, every time Mass is offered, it's in a sense the Feast of Corpus Christi, because we make our Lord present there, really, truly present there in the Blessed Sacrament. This is uh, like coming to Calvary. It's like touching base with home when we come to Mass because it is there that our faith, our church was born, was born there of our Lord on the cross. <clears throat> and so it is like really coming home every time we come to Mass to be once again restored, to be in touch with the meaning of our faith and the purpose of our faith and the purpose of our lives. So ask our Lord to always enable you not to merely react with kind of a knee-jerk reaction as our nervous system wants to kick back at things when it's stimulated, but rather in an intelligent, thoughtful way to respond to things as a true, intelligent Catholic person with faith and hope and charity for God and for all mankind. And uh, not to fall into that abyss. It's like a bottomless pit of prejudices, hatreds, divisions, and uh, things that uh, serve only the devil's evil, malevolent purposes. If you are going to have an influence in the world around you, let it be that you raise things up, that you raise things up like our Lord's ascension, that you can lift things up higher and make them better, not to tear them down like the leftists and Satan who wants to tear things down so low that he takes them into hell with him. Ask our Lord for that grace. St. John was known for his beautiful epistles, three epistles, where he talks about the love of God, and it would do well for us to read these. We read part of one today. And it would uh, be a good idea to go back to read these because his message is so beautiful. He was such a, an ardent apostle of the love for God among so many of the peoples of Asia. And his voice still resounds in the world today. No murderer hath eternal life abiding in himself.
but only those who actually have the faith and hope and love for God. Those have eternal life already abiding in them. I pray that for each and every one of us here, that that may carry us even to the everlasting life of heaven and the consummation of this great act of love. May God bless you. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.